episode of Game of Life with Dan Harmon. This is exciting because I've got someone in here that can talk to us all about dogs and and other things as well. And you know what? I might do something a bit different yeah. this week. Mm. I'll let our guest introduce himself as well because there's so much. We've just had this amazing conversation off the mics, and you're a lovely, very um, out there guy as well. I just I, cultured, yeah, cultured, yeah. That's the word. Cultured. So. Chris, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us what you do and what you're all about. All right. So hello, everyone. I'm Chris Loverseed, owner and head trainer of Positive Canine Training. So I've had my dog training business, Positive Mm -hmm. Canine Training, now for coming up to 14 years. Mm -hmm. So prior to this, I actually dropped out of school at 14, did my chefing apprenticeship, then from there, realized I actually had no education or <laughs> many prospects yeah. in life, so to speak. Um, so got a job selling cars mm-hmm. as a sales cadet, mm-hmm. lost my license like most young kids do. Mm. So Good job. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a car salesman without a license is a car salesman without a job, yeah. especially when you're a junior. True. So then from there, got a job in corporate at Telstra. Mm. Um, started off at, I'm not sure, do you guys know the call center in Burwood? One that's on the like corner of Burwood Highway and Station Street, oh, the yeah, massive yeah, one there. Yeah. So I started off there. Then I was lucky enough to form a relationship, friendship with one of the ladies, Catherine from the L and D team, mm-hmm. um, who then got me an interview for large business in the city. Mm-hmm. So that's when I ended up in corporate. So could never go back to that. So full suit and tie mm-hmm. and all those things. So yeah. you can imagine coming from being a chef to being in a corporate office. This mm-hmm. was a Big change. Big change. Um, but I was lucky enough, so I've always grown up with dogs, had a passion for mm-hmm. dogs. So the great thing with working with such a large company at Telstra is as long as you're hitting your KPIs and you're doing everything, yeah. you can, I don't know, it sounds bad. Whilst I was on their clock, I was essentially building my own yeah. business and everything else. Yeah. So I was lucky enough to have my own full-time staff mm. when I was still working at Telstra yeah. until eventually I then made the, made the switch. Mm. Um, but I never actually envisioned it to grow to the size that it is now. Mm. Um, for me, it was just a how do I say, so hobby mm. that then goes into what we call, for me, the jobby. Yeah. So probably where you guys are right now with yeah, your podcast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. It sounds very familiar. Yeah, yeah. so the hobby... Then you go into a jobby. And I think for me, the jobby is the ultimate place to be in, yeah? Yeah. Mm. Because it's still a hobby. There's no stress. There's nothing like that. You're getting some nice money from it on the side, you know what I mean? Mm. Then it turns into a job. Mm. Um, So I'm lucky in a sense. I still don't look at it as a job. I'm not like one of those Mm. people like, oh, shit. Fuck, it's a weekend. You know what yes. I mean? Like the I'm so happy for, feeling at the end yeah, of the week. Yeah, like, I'm, yeah, I'm not one of those people like, oh fuck yeah, it's Friday. Yes. You know what I mean? Like feeling like fuck yeah, it's Monday. Like I yeah. love what yeah. I do. So yeah. I couldn't call it a job. Mm. Um, it's a business, it's a passion, mm. whatever word you want to use to describe it. So had that for 14 years and then probably over the last four years, that's when we've really then started growing and expanding. So we've also got PK9 online, which you can see wearing my PK9 online merch now. So that's our online dog training platform. So as most people during COVID, I was broke. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was either go online or 
get evicted and mm. eat baked beans for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, so I went with PK9 online. So right now we're currently Australia, Australia's largest like online training platform. So we have that. We have around about over 200 videos on there. Mm. So everything from A to Z. Um, now I'm actually happy it's international. We've got people all, all yeah. over the world on there as well now. So trying to grow that. We also have PK9 gear. Actually, I've got some equipment of a car. I'll give you some hookups before yeah, I go nice. for your dog. Nice. Yeah, so that's my own brand. Mm. So I made that simply due to the fact if you go, I'm sure you know what it's like, if you go to pet barns or your normal mm. pet stores, it's hard to actually find really good quality dog training equipment. Yeah. So the stuff I use professionally, my team use professionally mm. as a dog trainer every day, mm. you can't go into pet barn and buy that. Mm. So hence why PK9 gear. Mm. Then from there, I guess I've ventured out a little bit further. Um, we also have PK9 Consulting. So it's mm. literally a digital strategy company for mm. anyone of a pet industry that wants to take the business to the next level digitally. Mm. Um, because there's so much to learn yeah. when it comes to yes. SEO, social marketing, pay-per-click, LinkedIn, yeah. what we're just talking you, about. You don't really realise that until you start. Actually get into it. Yeah, yeah. because with this you know, podcast, when we started, you didn't quite realise the amount of work it would take until you're actually in it doing it. Yeah, of course. Like, yeah. oh, let's just do a podcast. Great. Exactly. How are people going to find the podcast? But, yeah, yeah. and you have to book people, then you have to organise studios, and it's it's a whole thing. Like, oh, do we do videos? How, how do we get the word out there? How do we stand out from a saturated market of podcasts? Hard work and then a stroke of luck and timing. Yeah. Yeah. And then our last business obviously is um so my partner Michelle, mm. uh Yuppie Puppy Day Spa, which mm. is just down the road from yourself. Yes. Yeah. And that's pretty much me in a nutshell. In terms of a business, the main business PK9 training, I have a team of 17 mm -hmm. wow. um, all around Melbourne. I also travel a fair bit to the Gold Coast. Mm -hmm. So I'm generally on the Gold Coast one week every month yeah. doing dog training up there as well. But You were there fairly recently too. Yeah. yeah. No, so I just got back. I was in Wagga Wagga. Oh, well, oh that's right. Yeah. Yes. So I just got back from there. Yeah. Started this week. Mm. Um, so we had – so I'm really passionate about German Shepherds as yes. a working dog. So we had the WGSDCA National mm. Championship, which stands – Working German Shepherd Dog Sport Club of Australasia mm -hmm. Whoa, National geez. Championship. So we had the judge out from Germany and stuff like that. So I went up and competed there. Um, luckily, me and my dog Nassies, we were on Channel Seven, and we got yeah, into I the, saw that. Yeah, yeah. We, we got into the Daily Advertiser, yeah. which is the Wagga Wagga paper. So I was very happy about that. Um, yeah, so we've got a team of, yeah, 17, so literally locations all around Melbourne for puppy schools. Mm. Um, we run our big venue on queue on Sunday morning, so we have around about 200 dogs in yeah. attendance on a Sunday morning yeah. over three hours, so it's pretty epic. Then our main part is actually our VIP dog training, so our in-home mm. dog training, for essentially for high net worth individuals that just want a concierge service. Mm. So these are the people they have generally got nannies for the kids, they've got pool cleaners, and naturally you have someone that takes care of everything for dogs from yeah. A to Z. So they need vets, they need grooming, they need boarding, they need training, they need the dog to look good on Instagram, mm. whatever yeah. it might be. That's big. Yeah, 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 so, like I said, going back to it all, I said I just started this business because, honestly, I just wanted to spend more time with my own dog. Like, yeah. Um, I love my dogs. I just I hated being in an office that yeah. I couldn't be with my dogs. Yeah. It, yeah. So mm. that was it. Have, ha having one of my own, um, so I got my dog, 
mm. uh, two years ago yeah. when I had a different type of job, when I had a job that I only worked overnight. Yeah. So she was only ever home Over, at, she'll sleep at, at night where she yeah. was just going to be sleeping anyway. Yeah. But now I have a nine to five where I have to be there every day. Yeah. So it's now I, I sort of sort of resent that in a way because it's taking time a way that I could be spending with my dog yeah, as well. I get you 100% yeah. on that. So for me, that was yeah, such a big thing. Um, but also for me, I guess we're at a different stage in life because I look at back at it now. So when I first got my dog um, as an adult, so I had dogs growing up, mm. but my own personal dog that I paid for, I was responsible mm. for. It's, yeah, that's it, where I am now, yeah. yeah. It stopped me from being a fuckwit, um, yeah. so I have to admit, because back in my early 20s, I think as most of us, Probably most of my money went on drugs and alcohol mm. every single weekend. Mm. It's just the way it was. Yes, yeah. And I couldn't go out and get fucked up anymore. It was just the yeah. way it was because, you know, I couldn't go out to a club and come home or not come home mm. because I had my dog there. So all of a sudden, all the drinking, partying, yeah. everything stopped because I just wanted to be at home with my dog. Mm. Like that was more it's important to me. Well, it's, it's a responsibility, of course. Like you sort of realize the things that become more restrictive when you have a dog like you can't just go out for the weekend because you have to take into account well what am i going to do with my dog like am i going to you know send her off to a friend a relative or uh you know a, a boarding house what what, what am i going to do i now have this added responsibility but yeah the same thing with kids as well yeah. i suppose yeah so that's the hard part i don't tell people the yeah. only downside to having a dogs is it kills any spontaneity in your life yeah so it's not like hey a went out for dinner tonight with my wife to a nice restaurant. Mm. Let's stay in the city for the night. That's never going to happen. No. So let's, let's break this down. How long can a dog stay without any presence around? Yeah, look, good question. And I think a lot of it comes back down to your own values and ethics mm. because True. some people <laughs> yeah. will just leave a dog there yeah. and yes. ask neighbor to go there and feed the dog. Mm. I, th I think some people like the image of having a dog more than actually a having point. a dog. Status, of course. Mm, yeah. yeah. So me personally, I could never be one of those people mm. to say feed the dog and I'll mm. come home in two days. So, look, realistically, it all depends on, I guess, how well you've actually not trained the dog, but customise a dog to your lifestyle, whether it has a comfortable environment and all those types of mm. things. But for me, comfortably 12 hours, is okay, but mm. that's assuming that, hey, you've exercised a dog beforehand, they've got a chance to be able to go to the toilet, they have food, mm. they have a comfy bed, all those types of things come into play. Mm. How about this? Um, does different breeds have an impact on how long they can stay and um, <clears throat> how big is space for dogs? I'm, I'm guessing like bigger breeds need more space because they're big and well, they're, they're active. Yeah, actually good questions, mm. really good questions. So some people will argue this. I tend to lean more on the sides of, so you have dogs these days that are specifically bred for companionship, hmm. whereas let's say you go back 20, 30 years ago, dogs were dogs from mm. the main part, you know what I mean? Mm. They all had a, a job. Um, whether it was protecting the house or mm. working, whatever it might be. Mm. Whereas these days you've got so many of your cavoodles and your spoodles and your groodles. And these dogs have all been specifically bred for companionship. Mm. And so I generally find these dogs innately, like they're not the type, so many people almost breaks my heart. Like they buy a cavoodle, they want to make it an outdoor dog. I'm just like, mm. that dog yeah. genetically is not, programmed mm. for this yeah sorry chris not to cut you off that's right how can you how can you breed a dog 
for companionship? It's it, Break that down for me. Yeah, so I guess like, for example, the King Charles Cavalier, hmm. so the royal dog, hmm. you know, that was bred as a companion animal. Whereas, so you have to look at most dogs were specifically bred for a purpose and over generations, you know, selective breeding, mm. but dogs start to fit this purpose more and more. Mm. So if a dog's only purpose in life is companionship and you keep on breeding to those types of dogs, then you're going to have these dogs that are companion mm-hmm. type animals. Yeah. Whereas I guess if we say you want to look at a dog that's suited to be like actually towards being an outdoors dog, that's mm. where you've got like your Akitas mm-hmm. and some of your Malamutes and your Huskies. Mm. Like I know so many people, they're like, oh, I want the dog to sleep inside with me. And like mm. the dog just wants to sleep outside. Yeah. So innately the dog just has that, so to speak. Um, what was your, there was another part to your question. Sorry, I forgot. Yes. Yeah, so I was just wondering like how is – how are they like you talk like you're breeding them for companionship is that how is that the breeder looking at psychological aspects of the parents and then breeding the dogs is that how it works yeah but this happens over generations over generations mm. if that makes yes. sense so that's when you go into i guess if you look at i guess the best way to look at it yeah i guess a good example so many people will know german shepherds mm. all righty but so many people are they have this perception like, oh, it's a German Shepherd, it can be a police dog. Well, it's not really that simple because within that breed you also have so many variants of mm. what a German Shepherd actually is. Right. Um, not that it should be because a German Shepherd initially is a true working dog, mm. but now it's almost broken into two parties where mm. you have these show line dogs mm-hmm. and you have working line dogs, mm-hmm. working shepherds. So, for example, you'll never see a, like a show line shepherd as a police dog. So those are what most people know as German shepherds where there's those big black and tan things, a little bit of a sloping back. Mm. And then you've got your working dogs, which are generally straighter back, your sables, your darks, your bicolors. So there's an example of breeding. So one person is specifically bred for a show ring for a certain type and structure. So if you keep on breeding to that type of dog, that mm. is a type of dog you're going to produce. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you keep on breeding to working type dogs, you're going to have these types of dogs. Um, but this also then, of course, this is all very ethical debates. Mm. This is where you have problems like you have some of these dogs now, these Frenchies and stuff like that, where they can't have natural births mm. because they've just kept on breeding mm. these right. little nuggets with these massive heads mm. and they just can't push them out. Mm. So the only way for them okay. to have birth is a C-section. Jeez. And that's where if you actually go back, like if you jump onto Google and stuff like that and you look at dog breeds like 30, 40 years ago, you look at like the bull terrier. Um, have any of you guys watched Friday? No. The movie? No. no Ice no. Cube, you got Friday, next Friday, Friday after next. No. No, no I haven't. That's probably the most famous bull terrier. Um, but you also had the one called Patch. I was in that movie with the kids. I'm trying to remember. I had the little um, patch on its eye. Oh, I think I know what. Not Beethoven. Uh, no, not Beethoven. Oh, God. Let me, let me, I'm, I'm going to Google it now. I'm yeah. going to my phone. Patch. I know the one you're talking about, though. I can I can visualize it, but I can't I can't yeah. see the name. I can't see the name. Me too. <laughs> Is something? Is it a white bully and yeah black, yeah 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 exactly. Yeah. I, yeah, I know I know I know. Yeah, yeah. I know, yeah. The movie. Well, I'm sure once we finish the podcast, will come to us. But yeah, um. So yeah, bull terrier. Mm. So if you take them, they've now got this really they call it a Roman nose, but it's mm. so 
crazy how it looks yeah, mm. functionally. Whereas if you look at the dogs 20, 30 years ago, they looked relatively normal. Mm. Um, no different to pugs and all yeah. these types of things. Yeah. They used to have better breathing and everything else. Mm. But they, if you keep on breeding for a certain type, then this is what you will get. Um, but I guess a good example, a common example of this now is you look at the Dachshunds or sausage dogs. I'm sure you both know what <laughs> yeah, those are. Yeah. And unfortunately, so those were initially a ratting dog. That's what mm. they were bred for. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, a, they're a hunting dog. So hence why they like biting ankles and all those mm -hmm. things. But they got so popular so quickly. And so, so many people, instead of actually breeding for temperament and everything else and what they should be, they'll just, let's pump them out. And that's when you then have all these dogs that in air, like have anxiety issues and stuff like that because you always have nature versus nurture. Mm -hmm. So sure. you have these dogs where, I guess, genetically speaking, they're a little bit edgy, you know what I mean? You put that into a house where they don't understand that and they then, I guess, nurture that to a certain extent mm. and then it gets worse. I, I, I can think that how breeding a dog for a specific period purpose let's say companionship or working line versus how are they raised or trained would have a significant impact on both right? of course mm. this also has an effect as well so that's when you then go into epigenetics mm. do you know much about this no this is a whole nother yeah thing. Okay. <laughs> yeah so genetics is like obviously like we all have different genetics and stuff mm -hmm. like that but epigenetics is what allows to be turned off or expressed so you have right. to look at well your ep, like your genetics would be your hardware yeah your epigenetics would be the software that actually programs it and everything else and makes the hardware run to its potential mm. or lack of potential is mm -hmm. it like having two twins and putting them in a different a hundred percent a hundred percent raised by a thief one raised by a policeman <laughs> one's a thief that's good one's yeah a hundred percent and so let's say you take those twins as example yeah, yeah. identical twins so mm. their dna the genetics exactly the, the same, same. Mm. all right now yeah one goes off and lives with a thief with carnies yeah. you know what i mean yeah. lives yeah. on the road yeah, yeah so one has an amazing diet one has a shit diet one goes to the gym one doesn't whatever it might be, mm. if you go back in 30 years' time, they will, like, literally be different people. Mm. There will be changes there with all their biomarkers and everything mm, else. Absolutely. Even though they're exactly the same. So, yeah, it's no different with dogs. Um, but going back to your question with the whole breeding and training, like, there's always an age-old saying, like, you can't turn chicken poo into chicken soup. Mm. So if you have a genetic disadvantage, there's only so far you can take it. Um, but I was looking at myself, so I'm not sure if anyone can see me, if you can hello so i'm five foot seven i'm white and i'm fat mm. so i'm never going to play basketball like michael jordan true facts yeah mm. you can coach yeah. me you can give me the world's best coaches yeah. you can pay me millions mm. they could can't be, jump 46 inches yeah. no there's, you could you could have 100 million of ended yeah. there chris if you play like mj there'll be 100 million you yeah. know what i mean yeah you can give me steroids whatever you want to do mm. this will never ever happen mm. And I think this is a problem with some people with their dogs is they have this dog that has its gen genetic limit yeah. of what it can be and they expect it to go past it. Mm. It just can't happen. Mm. Uh, but it's also no different in a grooming salon. So it's like me going to a hairdresser and saying, hey, I want to look like Ricky Martin. As you guys can say, I'm fucking bald. <laughs> yeah. This isn't going to happen. Yeah. So you have some people that will come in with XYZ dog, I want it to look like this. Yeah. 
and you're an asshole if you can't make that happen. Yeah, so. yeah, that's unrealistic expectations. And do you see the people you train? Do you see the lack of awareness? Like I've seen people walking Belgiums and they yeah. have no idea that those things are literal little predators. And do you see that lack of awareness in people? Yeah, you do see that. Like I've actually had one once. So you talk about like a Belgian Malamar. Is that what I'm assuming? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had this one client. <laughs> they... <laughs> They just read on Google that, you know, they're a good dog with kids and everything else. And so then oh, that was no. enough. And mind you, they had like in their backyard, they had this like cage of bunny rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> and look, she's, she actually took, well, very good owners, you know what I mean? They turned out to actually be pretty good. But yeah. I remember them telling me of a story and I was just pissing myself absolutely <laughs> like. So I rock up to this house. I'm like, why'd you get this dog? And they're like, oh, because of X, Y, Z. I'm like, oh, do you know what they're actually bred for? <laughs> <laughs> so you do have that. But I think this is, I guess these days you have to be so PC. Um, you have cultural issues. Mm. So generally speaking, let's go for Asians, generally speaking, for most part, don't understand dogs. Mm. Um, it's just yeah. the way it is. Culturally, yeah. they look at it very differently. And you also find for a lot of the Chinese, it becomes a status thing. That's mm. why you'll see a lot of Chinese Prestige with big she yeah, shepherds, big huskies, these big I always, dogs. I always find it odd seeing border col collies in, in the city. <laughs> Yeah, so you see heaps of it. But yeah. I guess you come into this side of town, you go like Northcote, Brunswick, mm. Fitzroy, Collingwood. Yeah, there's so many people with these um, working dogs, you know, mm, cattle yeah. dogs, Kelpies, Border yeah. Collies. Um, but it also, that being said, it for me it's not too bad. Because, like, let's say if you look at New York, for example, yeah, there's so many dogs there True. that all live in apartments. Mm, and so yeah. for me, for the most part, I guess with everything, you've got good people, you've got bad people, responsible dog owners, irresponsible dog owners. So I generally find a lot of our good clients that live in apartments, their dogs for the most part probably live a better life than let's say take your average Aussie family, mm. husband, wife, two kids with a backyard with a dog mm. because they're taking those dogs out three, four times a day. Because well, they have to, yeah. Because they have to. Yeah. Um, we take that with a average Aussie dog that just sits at home. All, all day or sits in the yard by itself, yeah. It's absolutely horrible. Yeah. So for me, I'd much rather be the apartment dog. Mm, yeah. So mm. you have bits and pieces to it. Mm. Oh, man, what kind of detriment, that's a very negative word though, but what kind of detriment does a dog, it costs, costs on dog when they're restricted, when they're not taken out or, you know, when well, people are lazy or sometimes owners are lazy? Yeah, like to look, it's hard to answer with 100% accuracy because some dogs, whether it's fair or not, they just adapt because mm. they just don't know any better. That's true because they're raised that way. Yeah, they, I see what you mean. Yeah, it becomes the norm. Yeah, yeah, um, but not. Of course, not every dog's going to be like that as well, though. So you start to see dogs where they literally just go absolutely stir-crazy. Mm. Um, that's where they start barking. You have behaviour problems, destructiveness. Well, they have energy that it's built-up energy that they have to release. Yeah, it, it has to yeah. go somewhere, and that's generally speaking tearing up your couch or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, so for me, I'm really big on – how can I explain it? This is actually a very controversial topic. For me – Dog owners to a certain extent should have to sit some form of competency exam mm. or have a license. Mm. Um, oh, wow. Because you go into the whole thing of, well, you know, it's everyone's God-given right to be able to own a dog. If I mm. want to own a dog, I should be able to own a dog. Um, but from the same extent, like let's say, well, if you want to own a gun, you've got to get a license because yeah. some dogs essentially, if they're not so trained... 
can mm. yeah. be like a like a gun on the end of a leash. Mm. You know, they they can do damage. Yeah. Um, but so I look at it like that. Well, I don't think everyone needs to be licensed, but it's maybe hard. a certain research they have to do. Yeah, first just before you just a, can, a basic course yeah. or something like that. Mm. Wherever this is facilitated by the council, and especially these days with e-learning, there's so much because so many people they'll buy a dog, but they don't know what veterinary care they need, how to feed the dogs, mm. what exercise requirements are. Um, but most people don't even know what the actual local laws are with their dogs and. They'll take their dog to a park and let it run absolute ride and not know that, you know, you're meant to have effective voice control. They don't know good what that recall. means. Yeah, good, recall. good recall. Good recall, yeah. And so, so many of those things just where people have to be able to say, hey, I understand what's involved here. Mm. That's a very interesting point. Well, that's funny because I take my dog out to unfenced parks. Let's go Ruffy? Um, Ruffy Lake Park, yeah. Yep. That's that's one we go to frequently. Yeah. Um, and I know in that environment she would be good off-leash in certain areas, whereas other areas closer to the road, for instance, she'd be a little, little bit more distracted. Yeah. So in those areas, I know to put her on the leash. Yeah. And for the other sort of lakey, parky areas, on the, you know, I know to, okay, it's fun to take her off the leash here. Yeah. But it, you've got to know your dog as as well when you you got to know the limits, I suppose. Yeah. I was about to say, now, is that common sense or did you learn that? I, I, I learned that. And and common sense to some degree, but it's it's sort of knowing I guess knowing your dog. Yeah, it's sort of well, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to explain. Like I said, it's a it's a really it's tricky learned, one. To be yeah, here, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you've learned mainly for trial and error or experience. Yeah, yeah, be. that's but it. Was, yeah, it was something where first time dog owners could sit there and just do a basic course, whether mm, it's an hour and just yeah. go over. Or they could do a, like a questionnaire, like, I don't know, 10, 15 questionnaires, like, okay, this is these are your requirements, this is your reason of buying a mm. dog, and then suggest the breeds that you can get would much better be suited to their needs versus what they might want for Instagram or Prestige. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, I no. get, I, I've fostered a lot of different types of dogs over the years, and I sort of, for fosters, you're not allowed to take them off the leash, so I, I know yeah. some... Through experience, I sort of know what the limits are yeah. to to some degree. It's but it's a hard one to articulate. Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah it really dependent on the dog as yeah, well. I get exactly what you're yeah. saying. Um, but for me, because I guess animal welfare, dogs having good lives for me is my priority. Yeah. Um, uh, so look at because what we're talking about for the debt would actually be to my detriment as a business because badly behaved mm. dogs make us money. Mm, yes. <laughs> Well-behaved yeah, dogs, yeah, of responsible yeah. dog owners don't yeah. make us money. No, <laughs> just, no. Yeah, of course. It's just yeah. the way it is. Um, but ideally for me, it's, I guess as a business model, if I could only just see puppies, mm. I'd be so happy. Yeah. Because if people get it right when they're young, they don't need us when they're old. No, yeah. Um, I've got a two questions in yeah. one question. Um, what are the different patterns that uh, that owners should start seeing when they like? Okay, we need to train this dog, and is it hard to train a dog when they're adult versus when they're puppies? Which is a little obvious answer. Yeah. Okay. I guess so. The patterns for me, there shouldn't even be a pattern hmm. um, because you have to understand you're either. This also answers the second question as well. You're either teaching or you're changing a habit. 
Mm. So wow. when it comes to a puppy, they're essentially a clean slate. Yeah, no different true. to a child. Mm. They're a sponge. Yeah. So what mm. they learn during those, let's just call it first six months of life, has a very long carryover effect. Mm. So you really you don't want to wait, oh, my dog's now jumping on the kids or doing whatever mm. it might be, mm-hmm. um, not coming to me. My dog tries to bite the vet. You don't want to wait for any of these things. Everything should be preparing the dog for life. So getting the dog used to recalling, getting the dog walking nicely, getting mm. the dog used to having a thermometer shoved up its ass. Like yeah. these are just yeah. things mm. that will happen in life. Yeah. Um, so you don't want to wait until, oh, I'm seeing X, Y, Z pattern. I better get on the phone now because you're now having to change behavior, mm. which goes back to your second question is, so let's say the dog's two years old and it, pulls on the leash, it doesn't come to you, it jumps up on kitchen benches, it jumps on guests. Now, we can still teach a dog all the behaviours that it needs, but the difference is we also then have to stop the unwanted behaviours. So mm. the dogs learn and or rehearse these behaviours. So you're not just teaching what you want from a get-go, you're now having to stop and fix whatever else is in there. You're trying to break a habit. Exactly. Yeah. They're so conditioned though we now. They're conditioned, yeah. exactly. And it's for the most part these behaviours are self-reinforcing for the dog. Sure. So I pull on a leash, I get to get to the park quicker. Mm. I jump, I get to give people kisses on the face. I mm. jump up of a kitchen bench, I get dinner for free, mm. whatever it might mm. be. So and you have to understand because if you do it right from the start, that's what the dog knows. The dog doesn't know any different. Mm. So pulling on the leash has never been something the dog's done. Mm. Jumping up on the kitchen bench, well, it's just something I've never done. Mm. So the dog doesn't do it. Yeah. If they haven't done that to begin with and they would never have done it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Do all dogs require a strong leader in the house or is it just some breeds like German Shepherds or other breeds? Yeah, good question. So for me... um, I guess we use the term leader and stuff like that, I guess, because the hard thing is, like we mentioned it before, like Caesar Milan being the goat, yeah? Mm, yeah. Um, unfortunately, I guess, as we said before, the world these days is extremely PC. Mm. Um, so a lot of people out there, all these we call them like purely positive or force-free people, absolutely oh. hate Caesar Milan. Um now, look, I can understand to a certain extent. I don't agree with everything that he does. Mm. And this is a problem. You don't have to agree with one, with everything. everything yeah. You know what I mean? People have different styles. Exactly. Opinions. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but because, for example, like he'll tell dogs no and use training equipment and some people mm. are completely against mm. this. Um, like whether I agree with everything he does, no. But I can still see the good that he has yeah. done as well. Yeah. Um, so because of that, because he like coined the term pack leader, mm. the term leader has such a negative connotation to it now because everyone's like oh you're gonna dominate dogs and Mm. this and that where it's not really like that so i always look at i guess whatever you call it like being it's no different to having a good boss Mm. like you want someone that you respect and know that will be there for you no difference being a good parent where you're leading by example and you're firm but fair Mm. um and you I guess, give chances to learn everything else. So it's no different whether you have a shepherd or a cavoodle. They still need, like, leadership and guidance. Mm. It's the way it is because you take any dog and just give them no leadership. Mm. They run an absolute muck. Um, it's no different to, let's just, let's just kind of go to that absolute rabbit hole. You take some kids, 
that are absolute fucking nutbags like me when I was a child mm. that just don't have any structure or responsibility mm. and those kids are bouncing off walls. Yeah. All of a sudden you sit there and give that kid some guidance and structure, mm. all of a sudden you have a well-behaved child. Mm-hmm. So it's no different to a dog. That's what a good parent is supposed to do, a.k.a. a good owner is supposed to do. Yeah. Mm. That's true, man. Just provide, yeah, leadership, guidance, structure. Um but that being said, yeah, sure, if you have a really hard dog like a shepherd or something like that, yeah. you're going to have to be a more skilled owner. It's just the way mm. it is. Big of a dog, big of a responsibility. True. Um, I guess not responsibility, the more shit can go wrong. Uh, yeah, you know what sense. I mean? So let's say you take your average owner, let's say the 60 kilos, you know what I mean, and they're walking the cavoodle down the street, yeah, mm. and that cavoodle wants to nuke other dogs and nuke the postman. But chances are that 60-kilo person will be able to hold the cavoodle back. Easy, yeah. Now they've got a 45-kilo shepherd on the leash. Yeah. This isn't happening. Yeah, different story. So that's where, like, training is important both ways, but, of course, there is a bigger responsibility Mm. when you have a larger dog. Mm. It's just the way it is. I, I think I'm at my most happiest when I'm taking my dog for a walk or a run. Mm. Palmer doesn't believe me when I say I take my dog for a run. (laughs) Maybe it's a light jog. (laughs) I have to be honest. It's probably more of a light jog than a run. But uh, I think, yeah, I'm at my most happiest when I'm just out on a big, long walk. Sometimes I'm listening to a podcast. Sometimes Mm. it's better not to, to just be Be, be present with with your dog. Um, What do dogs provide you outside of training, just in life, what do dogs provide for you? Yeah, that's good. I was going to say, but you got to name your dog 8 Mile. Right. Yeah, that one? So you can say, no, I walk 8 Mile every day. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, yeah I have, yeah. <laughs> Not a good joke, but yeah, I still like that one. Um, but also for me, I guess you're talking about like being present and stuff like that. It's when you go back to, you guys follow Joe Dispenza at all? No. I've, I've heard that name. It's like one of those, how would you call it, self-help gurus, physics, into like no. manifesting, quantum physics, mm, all this yeah. type of stuff, the power of a mind, mm. being able mm. to attract things around. He talks about like you want to be in a state of like walking meditation, so to right. speak, yeah. where you're just so present and peaceful yeah. and yeah. you're just in bliss. Mm. So that's why ideally I try to be with my dog. So mm. when I'm out there, it's just for the most part when it's me and my dog and we're training. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. The rent doesn't matter. The bills don't matter. Yeah. Whatever it might be, I'm just there at that moment, being present. Yeah. So that's what I like. But I guess for me, dogs provide unconditional love. Is probably the easiest mm. way to look at it. Um, mm. Companionship and look, they're just they're fun. I just love being around yeah. dogs. Um, I love training them. I love seeing them working things out. And then we've also got, I guess, the flip side to what we do where we have dogs for people with disabilities and stuff Mm. like that. So we're training dogs to be assistance dogs and seeing, I guess, how much value and how much you can improve someone's life. That's a whole other part to it. Mm. That's true. Yeah, it's it's a stress relief as well. If life is getting you down, you'll have your dog there to pull you back up. They're just a constant sort of positive energy throughout your life if you had a shit day at work you can come home at the end of the day mm. and, and on, you're going to have un, unconditional love yeah but on the flip side to that um because that part i do agree with but we've had some people where they buy a dog because they're going for a tough time in life mm. whatever it might be yeah the child might be autistic whatever like mm. there could be a hundred reasons mm. thinking hey a dog will be great 
but it's a complete opposite mm. because it's a whole nother stress yeah. that I don't need. And now they're already walking on a tightrope and there's dogs just sent them over. Yeah, mm. another added responsibility they already they, have. Exactly. Mm. This thing's barking, it's biting. It's yeah. It's now because time is precious, you know, fuck, this is another, like I need to find another hour a day to be able to fix this. Yeah. Now my autistic son is freaking out even more because the puppy won't stop jumping on it, mm. won't stop biting and it's mm. now spiralling. So There's, it can be worse. There is so much that goes behind owning a dog that you don't realize. Don't realize. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, as you said, like you may want to get a dog for, you know, you may be going through an emotional time, what whatever, and then you don't realise, oh, well, this comes with some baggage to some, some degree depending on how this dog is going to be raised in this household or yeah. what their attributes are going to be. Again, it comes back to that research part of it. Do your research. Yeah, but I think it's also for financial aspect as well. Yeah. Um, so- uh, true, yeah. Because I think sadly at the moment, like we're seeing a lot of dogs being returned. And so initially people were trying to, I guess the media was trying to blame um, people going back to the workforce and everything else, which I don't think this is the case because I guess cost of living has gone up so Mm. much recently. And I think so many people are in a situation where it's like, well, either I pay for the dog's food or my kid can go to sport, Mm. which I'm going to choose because cost of living has gone up so much. So Mm. veterinary care has gone up. Dog Mm. food's gone up. Like fuel, everything, everything has gone up in life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, so, so many people now, and I guess in a tricky situation where they don't realize mm. what the true costs. And one of my biggest pet hates is, and I think this goes back to research as well, is we're so lucky in Australia. We have this amazing thing called Medicare. Mm. Yeah. So, mm. I go to a hospital. Yeah. I don't pay a cent. Mm-hmm. I go to my GP. You might pay, you know, your $40, whatever it might be. You get your blood tests, you get your x rays, you get your mm. ultrasounds. Mm. You don't pay a cent. Mm. You know, you might pay $10 here and there, but not much. Mm. And so many people, they think their vets are trying to rip them blind when really, you know, they got the x-rays, they got an emphasis, they got, yeah. you know, it costs money. Vaccinations yes, yes. aren't free. You know what yeah. I mean? Stitches aren't free. Antibiotics aren't free. Mm. All these things cost money. Yeah. And so so many people don't factor in like, well, let's say if a dog gets really sick, mm. this can be 10 grand yeah, true. down the tank pretty easily. Mm. Um, that's why if you don't have pet insurance, get pet insurance or make sure you have a big credit card. It's funny because someone mentioned pet insurance at work the other day and I'm like, that is something I haven't even considered pet insurance. Oh, for me, like I said, unless you have a big credit card or a big savings account, get onto it. Yeah. Um, so look, there's obviously sharks in every insurance industry. Mm. So make sure you read the the fine print Mm. of the T's and C's. Um, but it, for me, it's something I recommend so much. I had like one of my dogs when he went through cancer and back issues, mm. you know, I probably would have done 20 grand in a year. Mm. And so I got back like 17 and a half thousand. Mm. So that was really good. Now, with that being said, sure. I'm, I'm sure over the cost of his life, I probably maybe spent, you know, 15 grand on the insurance. Mm. But when I needed it, I knew I didn't have to worry. Hey, Mr. Vet. You can run whatever test you need to run. Make sure my dog's okay. Could have cost more. I don't have to worry about the money. Mm, yeah. I know I know we've got it. Mm. Um, and that's where, sadly, so many people end up in situations with their dogs where some people are having to rehome dogs because they, break the, they yeah. just can't afford the medical care that this dog needs. And also they may not have the luxury to turn to a parent or a friend or a, yeah. a, a relative to... 
help them out. Yeah, to help out. I mean, I guess it's a different sort of mindset that our family or my my family have um, been in because we've grown up with dogs in the family all our lives. Yeah. They're part of the family. Yeah. So if we have to spend the money, we spend the money. But you're right, a lot of people can't can't afford that at all. No, it's like let's say today you'd like you take someone the dog breaks its leg. Mm. You got five grand sitting there? Mm. Yeah. A lot of people they don't. It's just no, exactly, the way yeah. it is. So that's yeah. where with pet insurance you can then have that, you know what mm, I mean? I said, well, have a big-ass credit card. So for a long time, also had a credit card there as backup. Yeah. So it's literally just had a dog credit card and that was it. <laughs> are, are there any um, breeds of dog that still surprise you, like a mix or what, what What sort of dog breeds still still surprise you or mix of dog breeds still surprise you that that, that you uh, get experience or, you know, that when you say, what, you? what do you mean surprise me? Like by? just surprise you, like an interesting mix that you're like, oh, that's an interesting mix I've never seen before. Yeah, like, I'm trying to remember we had this dog <clears> the other week. It was a Chinese Chinese red dog. Chinese what? red dog? Yeah, man. Like it, these things look wicked. So I never saw like, let's have a look. It's like a... Chinese Doberman, like I'm not even able to look at that. Oh, where is he? That's so different. Wow. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a different looking dog. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, so every now and again you get those, but I also have to. This is where it sounds bad. Sometimes I know that person personally. He's actually right. Um, you get these people with these weird ass dog breeds, mm. and they're generally weird ass people. Yeah. Because <laughs> they they want to be different. <laughs> they're generally a little bit eclectic and stuff like that. Yeah. Like there's a well known thing like um. A lot of groomers, even us as dog trainers, don't like legato owners. Right. You've seen a legato? Yeah. What, what, why? Tell, tell us why. Legato owners are generally nuts. But dogs <laughs> are generally nuts and the owners are generally nuts. Like they, they attract a certain type of person. Yeah. So, sorry if I offended any legato <laughs> owners out there. Please don't give me a bad review. You're beautiful. You know what I want to do now? I want to switch this up. I want to talk about business because I just realized we can learn a, a lot from you about business as well. Yep, perfect. Let's, yeah, let's dedicate this section of the podcast to business. Tell us how did you start it and how did you get into it? Into the dog training? Yeah. Yeah, so as I said, at the very start, I was in corporate, mm. had a love for dogs. Um, as I was talking about, mm. I just wanted to be with my dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, so however I could make that happen, that's pretty much how I made it happen. Mm. And I said it was a hobby into a job, into a business, so to speak. So trained one dog, had the bug for it, and literally went from there. I guess in terms of actually turning it into a business, I was really lucky from a sense, like I said, I was on corporate clock. So I had all the time of the world to learn everything. Um, so I learned mm-hmm. all my SEO, my digital marketing, my pay-per-clicks, mm-hmm. all that type of stuff when I was at Telstra. So I was really blessed with that. Mm-hmm. Um but I guess getting into it, having a good accountant as well and making sure all those T's and C's are in order. Mm-hmm. But for me, I guess I stayed at Telstra for too long. If I quit sooner, I reckon I would be further ahead. I probably would have been happier. Similar to the fact when you still have a full-time job, you're cushy. Mm-hmm. The second it was me on my own, there's no Telstra paycheck. Mm-hmm. I have to make this work. Yeah. I, I have to hustle. You lose the security, you do, yeah. Exactly. Um, but I think... Obviously, it all depends on your situation in life because now I'm 
34 and I've got like a lot of my good friends who got kids and mm. everything else and some of them want to start their own business. I'm like, oh, this is a whole nother thing now. you got a wife, you got kids to support. Back then I didn't, I didn't have any of those things to mm. worry. I didn't have a mortgage or anything like that. Mm. So I'll just eat baked beans for a little bit and go on Centrelink. Mm. <laughs> but So how did you end up landing that uh, corporate job? You yeah. said you dropped out at 14. Yeah, so I dropped out of school at 14 because I was horrible at school, but also I needed to work. Mm. Um, so I started doing my chefing apprenticeship. And like I said, so got a job selling cars because mm. then all I did was I just made up a resume. Best skill. Mm. Yeah. Sales is the best skill. Yeah, yeah. so well, I made up a resume. Um, it was a bullshit resume. I gave all my friends a script, mm. gave them a number if anyone calls. This is what you say. Mm. Got a job doing that. Um, ended up getting a job at Telstra and a call centre when I lost my licence. And I said I was lucky enough just to strike up a relationship with one of a team from the L&D team. Mm-hmm. Took a shiny to me, got me an interview and then went on from there. So, yeah, being in large business at Telstra was definitely good. Mm. Um, I think working at any large company like... Yeah, like mm-hmm. your, your banks, your Telstra's and stuff like that. There's so much room for growth there in education. Like they have such big budgets. Like if mm-hmm. you want to do courses or whatever it might be, you want to network, mm-hmm. you want to learn, they always provide it there. So mm-hmm. I was really lucky there so I could learn all my business acumen, sit on the board with like CEOs, CIOs and meetings, learn how to present. Mm-hmm. So that I was so grateful for which I was then able to take across to being in my own business. So now when I'm dealing with more high-level people, I already have that. You have that skill set. Yeah, I have yeah. that skill. I have that confidence. So mm. being able to be, I guess, like a chameleon. Mm. So blend into yeah. no matter what environment mm. you're in. So whether you're talking to, you know, the average Joe Blow. Yeah. Or whether you're talking to the big baller. Mm. But that was also one of the most important lessons I learned selling cars. Mm. So we had a dealer principle there. Mm. And so he came to me, of course, was in down in his suits and everything else. He's like, so Chris. Let's say we're in a supermarket and you're serving me and I come in on the weekend, I'm in my board shorts and my singlet. How mm. would you greet me? I'm like, g'day, mate. Mm. <laughs> How can I help you? Mm. He goes, okay. Now let's say I'm wearing a suit. How do you greet me? I'm like, oh, hello, sir. How can I help mm-hmm. you? He's like, I'm still the same person. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's stuck with me for so long. And mm. unfortunately, I guess we live in a world where everyone is so shallow. Mm-hmm. In that you're sense. judged by our appearance. Yeah, we're judged yeah, I saw by that yacht master on your wrist. I was like, man, that's a nice watch. Yeah, th- thank you. Um, but this is also like, um, yes, yeah, so I've, I've got a Rolex on my wrist. Um, but we go back to that, yeah. yeah. Um, um, recently I went shopping. I had to go jewellery shopping to buy a St. Christopher for my goddaughter. Mm. And so I generally dress like you, man. Trackies, hoodie. Mm, I just yeah. want to be comfortable. I mm. love that. Yeah, yeah, I spent enough time in suits when I was in corporate. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah I said, if I'm going to a client's house, this is how I dress as well. So yeah. I'm still pretty relaxed. Yeah. Um, so with a watch, so I go into a jewellery store. The first couple like, oh, nice watch. How can I help you? Yeah. And so next I have my hands in my pockets. I didn't get any service. Mm. I'm still the same person. So stuff like that. Mm. <laughs> really. it, it adds up. Yeah. It's, it, I, yeah. I think you don't fully sort of appreciate the skill set that you're learning at a job that you may not be passionate about because you're building on skill, which will help you later on. So I was doing a sales job as well mm. where I was on the email all day long, yeah. which sort of aided in my ability to to write and to sort of write a good email, how to sell people on the podcast as well. Like how do I bring people 
into the podcast and really sort of sell it to them, well, I've learned this sort of whole script that I had to put together to get customers to buy tags and labels. So that sort of helped me out in this area as well. You sort of don't really sort of realise the skills that you're building up on. Actually, that being said, I forgot, I did have one job in between as well, telly, like cold calling. Yeah, um, cold calling, I did that as well. Have you guys ever heard of um, Priority Privilege? No, I haven't. ACOR? Mm -hmm. Oh, ACOR, I have heard of ACOR, yeah. So, yeah, so hotel memberships. Hotel, yeah, hotel, yeah. Man, that was the shittest job yeah. I've ever had in my life. I worked at an A-Corp hotel, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was in a little call centre yeah. in the city and literally you had a, like a list of people that have recently stayed in mm. one of the like priority privileges, mm. so one of the Intercontinentals, Best and West and stuff mm-hmm. like that, yeah. yeah. So you had like literally you were just – Telephone terrorist. Mm. Um, have you guys watched Wolf of Wall Street? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Where you got the, yeah. the famous scene yeah. where he's like, I need you to be a telephone fucking terrorist. They have a buy or die. Yeah. So I was like that, man, all day long. That job built resilience. Mm. Yeah. So being able to have a confidence to be able to just, yeah, fuck off. Yep, next. Fuck off. Yeah, yeah. Next. Go through there. What it builds is your ability to take rejection, which is mm. the biggest in sales. If someone's done sales, they know that it breaks your heart for first couple of sales if you get rejected. It yeah. builds character. It builds it character does, as well. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Actually, being a chef builds character. That's where I've got to be honest. Really? Yeah. yeah. So I it think the, the industry has changed now. So I haven't worked in a kitchen for cl- over 15 years. Mm. Um, but back then, so... I think when I first had when I was 14, I was on about $5.60 an hour yeah. and I was pulling 80-hour weeks. And there's no overtime, there's no this. Back then, there was, I think these days the industry has changed a lot. But chefs are very angry people. Mm. Um, most mm. of them are druggers or alcoholics or both. <laughs> um, because when you're pulling those types of hours, you're under that amount of pressure, you need something. Something to push you. Yeah, so yeah. that builds Thick skin. Yeah. And I guess that's where I hate shows like MasterChef and everything else because they just glamorize Ticks, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so much. When you're working in a 400-seater commercial kitchen, there ain't nothing glamorous about mm-hmm. about cooking. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But, yeah, going back, I forgot, I'm way off topic, so going back into business. So that's how I started it. Um, then from there, I guess, just it slowly built up over time. It was something I never envisioned doing or anything like mm. that. Um, it was just a real organic flow. And I guess to a certain extent, I have to be completely honest, there's always ego. Mm. So initially you're like, you know, I can actually grow this. I can be the best. I can be the biggest. Mm. So you, you have that there as well. But for me, it's always, I guess, what drives it though is wanting to be able to help as many dogs as possible, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. So for us, like one of our growths is, this is where I have to talk about something. So puppy schools, we run four-week puppy schools. Mm-hmm. Now for me, hand on my heart, I'm not the biggest fan of these. I genuinely do not like four-week puppy schools. Similarly due to the fact it gives people this misconception that, hey, it takes four weeks to train a puppy. Mm. And oh, no. which is bullshit. Yeah. But why I looked at it, I'm like, all right, well, there's money to be made in these. Now, Chris, you have one or two options, yeah? So they can either go to the local vet where it's going to be run, no disrespect, mm. by a vet nurse that mm. isn't a professional dog trainer. Mm. It's going to be run at Pet Barn mm. by, you know, a 20-year-old girl that's working there. Yeah. Or they can do it with a professional company. Yeah. Which one do you pick? They're going to do a four-week course whether you like it or not. Yeah. It can either be with you yeah. or it can be with them. And so I look at it like, well, at least that way my trainers can give them 
the best experience possible and try to impart as much knowledge as I can mm. during that four-week period. But also going back to as a business when I first started because I wanted everyone to feel great about themselves. Mm. So if you completed, we've got eight levels in our obedience program, yeah? Mm. If you completed level one, you get a certificate. Level two, you get a certificate. Mm -hmm. But what notice is, yeah, people will do level one, which is, mind you, was drop in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. We'll give them a certificate. They wouldn't come back. Uh, because in their mind, they now have that thing they can put yeah, on the fridge. Yeah, yeah. Whereas the second we stop giving certificates, like um, our rates of attendance and, you know, mm. repeat business went through the roof. Mm, and like they then that. kept on trying and trying and yeah, trying. Yeah. And so it's little things like that you learn along the way yeah. that help grow the business. Yeah. yeah. How long did it take you to build a business from, from scratch? To where I am? Yeah. Um. So this is where I guess I was one of those really lucky people. Um, I loved COVID. <laughs> so so many people hated COVID and lockdown because to me there was, there was three types of people during lockdown, yeah? yeah? So you had the people that watched too much news and were fucking scared of everything. Mm -hmm. So that's type number one. You had the type that wanted to complain that they couldn't have avocado on toast at a cafe. <laughs> that was type number two. <laughs> or you had the three that looked at it like, fuck, this is actually a great opportunity for me to now take the time to evaluate what's important in life and mm. plan and everything else because... It's so funny. I think I fell into all three of those categories <laughs> <laughs> during certain periods, yeah. That's how an entrepreneur should think. Yeah. Just, you know, adaptability. You want that. Mm. If you don't have that, then you don't succeed. Yeah, so I had so much time um to actually think and be present and evaluate what's important in life and business and where i want things to go because prior to that i'd always worked in the business mm. like obviously the business was growing and getting to a decent size mm. but i was still always in it i never looked at it from the oi, <laughs> just punching my mic i never looked at it from an outsider's perspective yeah yeah so covid gave me that amazing opportunity to be able to do that so up until Let's go December 2019 um, or even just, yeah, 2019 and then 2020 onwards. It was a decent-sized business. I think it, by that stage I had most things in place but not to the same level that I have today with all the systems and structure and everything else. Mm. So, yeah, so it took about 10 years. You said you went down during COVID as well. Yeah, so with business. Yes, yeah, so business obviously took a big drop, but then it gave me the chance to be able to prepare and plan for when we Rethink. come. Mm. Yeah, when we come out, you know what I mean. So that's where we redid all our packages. I looked at, oh, well, where does a business actually make money? So taking what they call like the eighty twenty principles, as I always say, you mm. know, twenty percent of activities will bring in eighty percent of revenue. Yeah, that's what? called mm. it's called um, it's called Prater's distribution. Okay, haven't heard yeah. of it. It's called predator distribution, 80-20. Yeah, the 80-20 rule. Yeah. And then break it down, 80-20 again. So mm -hmm. being able to do that. So I said for 10 years, like for, I worked in the business, I grew it to a very decent stage. But, yeah, COVID then gave me the opportunity to have the time to then work on the business. And so that's why now I guess I'm off for tools. As I don't train dogs as much as I used to. That's a hard part. I still, I, I still wish I was training dogs. Mm. That's all I did. Mm. But reality is it's not like that. Mm. But now I can be a little bit more picky and choosy. So mm. I do all the jobs that I love. But that's where I look at being able to actually evaluate what's important in life for you yeah. is huge and being able to take the time. Mm. And I think that is 
where so many people struggle is they just don't make time. They don't prioritize what's actually important to them. Like I'm trying to help one of my friends at the moment where he wants to start his own business, a side business. Yeah. And so weekly I call him up to bust his balls. I'm like, Hey, what are you doing? He goes, Oh, I'm at the golf course. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing at the golf course? Mm. Like, you know, like that's four hours that you could be spending working on business. It's easy to say, but it's very hard to sort of slow down and reflect on how, on the how you're going to do this. Yeah, how you know, everyone yeah. has ideas. Yeah. Everyone has ideas. But as I say, like I'm trying to remember how the saying goes. So do what you said you were going to do, even after the moment you said it in is gone. Mm-hmm. So for me, that's so important. So like if you say you're going to do something, take action. Mm. And because so many people, I guess it's retarded, I don't have anyone to answer to. You have all these people saying, oh, you know, don't tell people what you're going to do, show them. But with all my mates, we have a group chat. I tell them I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Mm. And like, because I know if I don't do it, I'm like, Chris, what happened to all your ideas? Account- yeah. They yeah. hold you accountable then. Yeah, have that little bit of accountability. Accountability is good. It's because. Absolutely. Yeah, because you it is that sort of humiliating moment where a friend asks, well, what ha- whatever happened to that? Mm. Yeah. You, <laughs> it's, you, you need to show some results. You want yeah. those people around you yeah. as well, man. You want those like-minded individuals. Chris, what was it about the business, that one or two things that took you took your business to the next level that you made like, okay, I'm going to implement this and this is going to take? Boy, do I give away my trade secrets? Yeah. <laughs> good, good questions. Um, so for me, first and foremost, automation. Mm. makes such a huge difference so like using a crm so we use one called active campaign so essentially everything now instead of i guess in the old school days we used to get a lead and we'll call up that lead Mm. and Mm. that was it most likely put into excel and whether we remember to follow them up or not Mm. it's a whole other story so now what we do is let's say you enter from facebook instagram website you call up whatever it might be Everyone enters into the CRM. And from there, you then go through, I wouldn't call it a funnel. It's just an automation sequence. So Mm. we go to call you up. You don't answer. Straight away, you get an email, you get a text. Mm. Uh, We then have a reminder to then call you again. Yeah. And then going on to the next part. So we try to call you again. That doesn't happen. And then going on from there. So because one of the biggest things is so many people will sit there, you call them back, oh, no one ever called me. And so, man, we did, but we can't argue with you. Mm. Um, Whereas now they get email, SMS, Mm. everything else. So being present, that constant reminder Mm. is there. Because you'll be amazed at how many people inquire and you go to follow them up and they look at yeah, mm. like, oh, why are you calling me? It's like, oh, you did this. Mm. So with the automation system, I guess from a sales cycle, it makes life mm. so much easier. Um, But also customer retention, customer satisfaction. So that way we can be across all communications a lot easier. Um, but it also then feeds into all our digital marketing side of things. Mm. So the second you enter into our CRM, you then go into our retargeting for Facebook and all that stuff. So it, it helps a fair bit there. Uh, but also for keeping customers updated with what's happening, mm. you have that part. So that would probably be number one. So automation with mm. those things, having the answering service that ties into that. And then actually understanding marketing mm. for me is such a, a big part to it. And who you're marketing to and why you're marketing. So on, like I said, for a long time I was very ego-driven. Mm. I still am to a certain extent. I used to put up content to say fuck you to other dog trainers, I'm better than you. <laughs> and mm. legit, that's all I did. Mm. Um, but other dog trainers don't pay my bills. 
Yeah. So realizing who we're making content for, who we're actually marketing to, what messages they need to know Mm. was what really changed it. And then I guess this is a whole nother thing, actually knowing how to run ads and performance and everything else because I'm really a big believer, especially in small business, that you don't want to have a wool pulled over your eyes. So there's no point paying agencies to do things unless you understand what they're actually doing and what these results Mm. are because you see so many people get shafted. So we still use agencies, but I know very clearly what they're doing, what they're not doing. It can make them accountable. Mm. So actually understanding what ads are, what you should be looking for, doing some courses on that I recommend, knowing what actually works on social media as well. And that itself is a full-time job. That's where I'm really lucky in a sense I have a team where I'm not great at everything. Mm. I suck at video editing. I suck at this. Mm. Like there's so many things I'm shit at. Mm. But knowing I have people in my team that are great at that Mm. makes life so much easier. So I'll probably be ever too main things i guess if you're looking from a technology perspective um but being there for your staff for me is is huge um being empathetic being accountable just being there for them and knowing that you have their back a good leader yeah Mm. is absolutely huge because end of the day without staff i'm fucked i don't have a business Mm. sure i can work for myself and still make money just being Chris obviously with dog trainer, mm-hmm. but I can't build a brand. I can't build anything more. So that's where it's also, how do you explain? I'm so picky with my team as well. Mm-hmm. So my business could be a lot bigger than what it is, but I would be losing integrity and selling my soul because I'll then just be putting on dog trainers by the kazoo, mm. you know what I mean? But they wouldn't uphold the same values and ethics that I have. You need that the trust there as as well. Yeah. yeah. Quality over quantity. Yeah, yeah, so literally like with our team, like mm. we, we've literally put on one staff member a year. So we mm. have a very slow mm. um, recruitment rate. You know, mm. what I mean? it takes me that long to actually yeah, trust hi. someone and know that person's going to have my best interest at heart. Mm. What qualities you look for in a person? Yeah, so I guess with you go for dog training skills, which is obviously, mm. but for me, someone that hasn't for me, integrity is huge. Like mm. I'm mentioned this word a few times, just being integral as so much for me. Um, being able to communicate, being mm. honest. Big. Yeah, um, this goes back to integrity as well. Admitting what you can and what you can't do. Mm. So you're sitting there and saying, hey, I don't know. What can I do? Mm. For that me, shows that, character. Yeah. Just on, honesty. Yeah, and, honesty yeah. up front and as well. I, I had to yeah. laugh. I was, at, um, I was in Wagga Wagga, yeah, at Macca's. I even I sent him some feedback, mm. gave, him, gave him a review. I was so impressed. So I was a young kid. He took my order, had a really good attitude. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was blown away by that, you mm. know what I mean? Took my money. I then go to get my coffee. Now, mind you, I had a, a, um, a macchiato and the young kid, mm. he's just like, I don't know how to make it. Yeah. And I really respected yeah. the fact that he just yeah. turned around and said, like, he's like, excuse me, mm. I don't know how to make this. Yeah. You know what it is. So I was yeah. able to tell him. But for me, I said, the fact that he actually had the balls to sit there and say, hey, I don't know, can you help me? He's not doing that bullshit, <laughs> bullshitting your way through it. Oh, because actually, yeah. yeah, so many times I was, yeah, Wagga Wagga doesn't know coffee. So, <laughs> so I'm like, Carter and Macchiato, like, what the hell is this? You know what I mean? Yeah. So the fact the young kid, the 18-year-old kid at Mac is, yeah. you know, I'm like, that kid's going to go far. Mm. Like he actually had the balls to sit there and turn around and say, hey, can you help me? I don't yeah, know. Do it. Yeah, so with my staff, 
having that. Um, but they also have to be self-motivated. Mm. Um, I hate people that just wait for me to tell them what to do and don't take any initiative mm. for me, especially in a small business. You need people that are a little bit hungry and want to take initiative. Mm. Instead of me like waiting for me to tell them what to do, they're sitting there, what can I do? How can I do this? Yeah, you you look you look for the work that needs to be done. It needs to be done, yeah. And essentially, because with my yeah. business, so my team on they're 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 subbies, mm. um, and I've set it up like that, similar to the fact I never want them to be capped with how much money they can earn. Mm. So they can work as much and as little as I want, and they'll mm. be rewarded for that. Mm. Um, they also have so many other opportunities where they can make money, writing blog posts and doing like other things out and about because mm. if they need money, they want to work, I want to be able to reward them for that. Mm. Yeah. That's where I hate the idea of a wage because, hey, yeah. you're, you know, you're 1200 a week after tax, that's all you get. You're there to punch a clock yeah. and leave. No matter yeah. if you work harder, you do an amazing job, you're still getting the same amount of money. Mm. And if you're lucky, you're really lucky, you know what I mean? You know, you upwards manage right, you might get a 5% pay increase. Mm. So I'm, I'm not big on this. So for me, of all my team, you can make as much money as you want, but I need that little bit of hunger. I don't need mm, people drag. that just are like, like, oh, you know, I've done a few jobs, I'm, I'm content. I need people mm. that actually want to work, people that are motivated. Mm. And, But I think that is honestly, I could talk about business, such a hard point now. It's a shit time to be in business similar yeah. to the fact no fucker wants to work. Yeah. And that's my only issue at the moment. My team's pretty good, but for the most part, I find I start to spend a lot of time making sure my team's happy. Mm. Whereas I know for me coming up, it was always, yes, sir, how how can I help you? Do you need anything? Am I making you happy? Mm. As you the person paying my bills, am I making you happy? Mm. Whereas these days it's like it's a complete day and age of entitlement. Yeah. Mm. Why do you think that is? To be honest with you, I think the trend started around about 2017 Mm. um, because I guess we've been in a very lucky financial times Mm. and then COVID made it worse because there was so much funny money. Mm. People got comfortable and then... Mm. Entitled people. Yeah, that's what happened. But I think to a certain extent you also have now people can work from home, so you got that little bit there Mm. as well. But influences i think social media has so much to portray where hey you can do fuck all and still get paid Mm. life life's easy and everyone wants this work-life balance and this cushy life i I, I lived in and around country towns so it was jobs were hard to come by in Mm. the country Mm. so I always sort of, res- no matter what job it was, I've always respected the job I'm in because they were hard to get. Whether you're packing shelves, you're grateful to be yeah, able to pack exactly, shelves. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So now you move to Melbourne, there's so much opportunity out there, but I've always had that part of me where I don't care what job it is, at least I'm still going to go there to, to work and, you know, yeah. and be sort of um, take the initiative, as, as you were saying, because... I, I just grew up with that sort of in, instinct, I guess. Yeah, to do it. Like, I know for me, my first job, I was 12. Yeah. Um. So there was a pharmacy. Do you know Montalbert well at all? Yeah, uh, not not well, yeah, but, but I know, there was, yeah. There was a pharmacy um, next, next to a train station there and also a compounding pharmacy on the corner of Canterbury Road and Union Road. Mm. 
And so my first job was on my push bike delivering meds to all the old ladies. Mm. Like that was my yeah. dropping off their scripts and I'll go there, I'll take out their bins, I'll then go back, crutch some boxes, <laughs> like whatever I could. I think I was getting like $4 an hour, yeah, yeah. some, you know, minuscule amount. But for me, it was still an opportunity. I yeah. had something to do. I had this responsibility I was yeah. happy with. Yeah. And I, was, I, wasn't, I had my own money as well. Yeah. I wasn't relying on someone else's. This is my own money. I could do whatever I want with this money, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, you've always had that hunger in you. You always had that drive. I think the jobs that you've done led to the path of you being an entrepreneur. I can see you've always been a hustler, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I was... I was actually bankrupt at eight, 19. I was bankrupt. Bankrupt. Yeah. Wow. At 19. I mean, that's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> really. I, I blame um, the, the Timberland song where he's talking about having a red Amex. <laughs> so, man, I just literally, knowing now, I could have done them for bad lending and everything else, yeah. but racked up about 80K in credit cards and there was no Jeez. chance I was getting out of that at 19. Yeah. Um, yeah. But to me, I guess, honestly, goes a little bit personally. So, Growing up for my first 10 years of life, I had everything you could think of. I traveled the world, I did all those things. We were multi, multi millionaires. Mm. Um, but my dad lost everything. Mm. So business went south, lost absolutely everything. And by that stage, he was already in his mid 50s. So you're not really, you're not coming back from that. Mm. I, think Very they say, hard. Very yeah, hard. I think they say after 45, if you lose it, like mm. the chances of coming back are slim to none. So lost absolutely everything um he started drinking a lot mum started gambling so between them there was fuck mm. all. there was mm. nothing so um i guess for me i'm i'm scared shit how old were you when that happened um so it started happening when i was around about nine and then my parents were split by the time i was 11 mm. so you bounce around a little bit so mum i'm from sydney originally my mum went to newcastle my dad moved down to Melbourne with one of my older sisters to try to get himself back together. And, yeah, that was it. Mm. That's why I said, come on, I moved down here. That's why I then started working when I was 14 because mm. what else am I going to do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's always, an, I guess, you have that fear of being broke. Like if you've yeah. experienced having nothing, you never want to go back to that. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I've lost it, yeah, when I was 19. Um, I then lost everything again, yeah, just recently. So this was when I ended up in a psych unit when I was just start of COVID. It wasn't because of COVID, but I went about three months without sleeping, ended up in a psych unit. So I pretty much had to rebuild from there. I still had the business, but I lost every Like I had nothing. But mm -hmm. I still had the business I could then bank on, mm. if that makes sense, yeah? That's the biggest flex, being getting to getting down and pulling yourself up. I think is the biggest flex you can do, man. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, it's not easy. No, hitting rock, hitting rock, rock bottom, bottom, and being able to crawl out of that fucking deep, scary mm. hole where not every day is a challenge. Every minute initially mm. is a challenge. Every mm. hour is a challenge. You know, every phone call, every everything is a challenge. Mm. I get it. Man. So yeah, being able to come out of that is um, it's hard. It's hard, but it's yeah. impressive as well, man. Yeah, that's why I always ask a question like shit. If I lost everything, could I do it again? Because mm. it, it takes so much might and willpower to come out of that. Did mm. you had someone helping you with that or was it just by yourself? In when? All the hard times. Um, no. So it was, it was, so it was all, just you? Yeah, just yeah. just me. Um, like obviously, look, you got to admit, so when I was 19, I was still living at home, you know what I mean? So it was mm. a little bit easier. But like I said, I still had all my bills to pay and everything else just... 
it's all paid rent. It was just a little bit less responsibility. Um, more recently, I've, I had my friends there for moral support, mm. which is huge. You know what I mean? So people in my corner, but no one's sitting there giving me money or handouts mm. or anything else. But, so, but that's why for me, I guess you're losing it all in COVID was good because it gave me that time to actually sit there and think, what the fuck am I going to do? Mm. You need like, those moments. You need those moments in your life. Yeah. So that's it. Because what happened with me was, yeah, March 13th, 2020, ended up in a psych unit because um, I didn't sleep for three months. So came, yeah, came out of a psych unit, then took me, boy, because I was on um, yeah, suicide watch and everything else. So took me a good year. To come to out of back. it all. Mm. That's why I was lucky where, I guess, COVID, everything stopped to a certain extent where I could pull my shit together and really evaluate what's important. and Gave you time. Yeah, it gave me time. As you said. Yeah. Mm. And so you realise you don't need much to actually, if you have that drive and motivation. Because mm. I still remember one day because um, I just sat there and I said to myself, you know what, fuck it. I've, I've got to make it work again. Mm. I still remember I jumped on the phone. I looked like absolute death. I'm sure I'll find the video on my mm. Instagram somewhere. If I do this Instagram story, like I'm like half days all meted out of my eyeballs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. I'm like, yep, <laughs> this we're going to do it. And then mm. from there, just that little that little spark that you need. Good job, man. Huh. Good job. Uh, <clears throat> what's next for you then? What's next for me? Yeah, good questions. Um being happy, man, is, yeah. is what's next for me. What's happiness for you? Yeah, this is so one of my goals for this year, I still haven't accomplished it. I hope to accomplish it is, and I've got to admit, I ripped off this idea as well from a guy called Peter Morati that owns a business called um, IT Genius. He's up in Queensland. Amazing dude. He was in like the, was it like Fast 30, Under 30, like one of those entrepreneurs lists, cooked it in life. Um, to have enough space to be bored. Right. I pondered that one because I read it. I first I saw him say that and I pondered yeah. like, what the fuck do you mean? Mm. In this day and age, you don't get bored because the second you get bored, you pull out your phone. There's like mm. gazillion distractions mm. around you. Yeah, to have enough space to be bored. Like initially I looked at it and I'm like, man, what the hell are you talking about? And then I'm just like, I actually forget the last time I've sat there. I've had enough time. You know what? Fucking bored. What am I going to do? Yeah. You know, like I remember back in my early 20s, I used to get bored a lot. Like, oh, shit, what am I going to do? Mm. I'm going to go do something. I'm going to go for a drive. Like, I'd never had that for a long time where I've been bored. bored. Mm. Yes. So for me, that is my goal. Like, I guess an actual life goal. In terms of business, we're actually dog training right now is fucking tough as a business financially. Um, similar to the fact, so let's look at it. Six months ago, a cavoodle whether you agree over price or not, was $5,000, yeah? And it was hard to find a Cavoodle. Mm. Today, they're struggling to sell Cavoodles for $1,200. Mm. Man, every single time, so we've noticed with our business because it's cause and effect, every single time there's an interest rate hike, cash rate goes up, the phone stops. Mm. For a week, dead. Mm-hmm. There's no inquiries. Mm-hmm. Everything goes back to, you know, confidence slowly mm-hmm. comes back. Interest rate, dead. Oh, people's priorities change. I that said, must have yeah. happened 11 times, 11 or 12 yeah. times. Yeah. Man, you see these cycles. Yeah. Because we generally as a business acquire about 20 new customers a week. Mm-hmm. Interest rate rise weeks, <laughs> like if we get five. Mm. So people are scared of spending money. Mm. Um, people are tightening up. 
discretionary spending, you know, is just dropping. So people don't have money to buy puppies anymore. Mm, and yeah. it's just the way it is. Let me ask your thoughts on, just before we wrap this up as well, let me ask your thoughts on where this is going. Where the where do you think the economy is growing? Going. South. Mm, <laughs> I think it's going south yeah. very quickly. Obviously, I'm just a dog trainer. <laughs> um, <laughs> but for me, the way I look at it is the, we've had good times for so long mm. and it's simply the way it is. Mm. And so I'm like, I've got some mentors and stuff like that who have been around a lot longer than me in their 60s and have gone through tough times. I've gone to them for advice like, hey, what do I do during this time? How do I switch? Is like focus on rich people because they'll still have money during yeah. these times. Yeah. Unfortunately, the middle class is really going to take a hit. Mm. And you just have to look at it. Like interest rates keep on going up and so many people – whether you can blame them or not, they took out loans, they bought million-dollar houses with mm. mortgages that they now can't afford. They went from paying two grand a month to mm. four, four grand, grand a month. And that's why I was going back to the salary thing, yeah? If my staff want to work, they need to make money, they can make money. Mm. You're on a wage. Where the hell are you going to find that extra two grand a month? Mm. Yeah, two jobs, whatever. People it boxes are- people in. It boxes yeah. people in. And so that's why I look at it like so many people and it's only going to get worse and worse because you got some people that were on a decent fixed, you know, they, they fixed it in for five years. Mm. Even though the banks at the time were saying, oh, no, don't fix. You had some people that fixed it. You know, they fixed it 2%, 1.8, 2.3s, whatever mm. it might be. Those fixed ones are going to be ending pretty soon. Mm. So you have all that. And then you only have to then look at what's happening internationally what's happening in the USA and stuff like that. Then you look at the whole thing with bricks. Do you guys follow this? I don't. He's more of a finance <laughs> guy. Yeah. Yeah. So That's... I look at all that stuff and it's like, well, they want to abandon the US as the... The dollar dies, then everything goes down. Yeah. That's where it, you almost sound a little bit like conspiracy theorists when you start talking about this stuff. <laughs> yeah, but you, yeah, that's, but you, you you can't be blind to it as well. No, you, there is a potential possibility that could happen. The writing's on the wall. Yeah, you, yeah. Can't, you can't be ignorant to it. You yeah. can't ignore it. Because then they're like, oh, fuck, I never knew this was going to happen. It's mm-hmm. like, man, you just got to open up your eyes a little yeah. bit. Like, yeah. look, I don't believe in, like, you shouldn't invest all your time and effort and believe all of it, but you should be aware of what possibly might come. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I can understand a lot of people cutting back in discretionary spending because those that are smart, and it's generally those that have money. I know it sounds bad. Are smart, yeah. Mm. Um, so they got money from being smart. Mm, yeah, <laughs> they start to cut back spending. Yeah. So yeah, when those guys start to cut that, you know, it's yeah, yeah. it's it's going to be tricky times. That's yeah. why I said for us as a business now, like a lot of it, we're really going after high net worth individuals because Warren Buffett is still sitting on one or eight billion. He hasn't spent anything because he's waiting for the right time. When the market goes down, he's going to buy companies. For sense. Yeah, but now he's a completely different character. <laughs> I know. Yeah? Because end of the day, like I've always had this perception as well. Yeah, it's like, well, fuck, do you want to buy a Ferrari when you can't drive or do you want to buy a Ferrari when you can still drive? <laughs> yeah. For me, Warren Buffett's a little bit like. That's true. So because you also then have some people where it's not about money, it's about power. Yeah. So he doesn't care about them. I don't think money actually means anything to him. To him no. I think the power and the status means something to him. Yeah, it's so, a game. I think it's a game for him now. Yeah. That's where you get, but at the end of the day, man, I know I want to be able to spend my money whilst I can still. You can. Whilst I can enjoy it. Not mm. like Warren Buffett where, you You're know. Just sitting on shit, yeah. Yeah, but going back to, yeah. So for us, high net worth individuals. So because generally during these times, people that have money still have money and generally make more money. More money mm. during the sessions. Yeah, and do. unfortunately it's 
us middle class people that generally yeah suffer during these times and the divide gets bigger and bigger and bigger does and there's no other way to round it because people who are tied up in jobs aren't think they know how to look at money in a different way no it's hard. we're not educated around money you're not no that's no, where it's not. it's so tricky how to make money work for you what's what's debt what's good debt what's mm. bad debt um all those there's so much how your taxes how to avoid paying taxes mm. all, all these things uh yeah there's, there's there's hundreds of parts there but i uh, said so this you go at the end go into like the whole conspiracy theory Series. side of things yeah. about mm. you know they want us to be programmed to a certain way so everyone becomes on the grid but that's a whole nother that's that, a whole that's a whole another episode yeah, man yeah, <laughs> that, 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 they don't want free thinking individuals 100 percent yeah We'll wrap, we'll wrap it up there before we start to go too south. Yeah. Anyone watching, I don't wear a tin foil or anything like no. that. I am your normal person. I'm not a crazy conspiracy theorist, but I'm still awake to what's happening. Just, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. I was waiting for you to finish. <laughs> it's, been, it's been really good fun. It, it has been. Um, I mean, again, I'm a... I didn't know any of your work before Dan had you in, and I'm I'm so glad we got to meet you, man. So we really appreciate it. And, and give time. a shout out to your your business again, please. Do. So tell tell us where people can find you. Yep. So if you guys want to find us, so you can go pk9.com.au. Yep. You search PK9 on Google, will come up, mm-hmm. or you can search Positive Canine Training. So we're on literally every social platform you can think of. So Google, LinkedIn, mm-hmm. Facebook, YouTube. Instagram, TikTok, TikTok, Minette. Minette. Oh, yeah. We're going to be on Minette. For all yeah. Of it. Yeah. yeah, we're on absolutely everything. And I'm going to add all the links in our description of the bio. Perfect. But Chris, we loved having you here, man. Thank you so much. And Thank you. And all the luck. Thank Cheers, you. And everyone listening, make sure you like, share, subscribe, the podcast. Thank you. Thank and you. Leave a comment as well. 